calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1 The Official Anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences deceive me, or has the Ministry's human analytical engine been stumped? I'm sorry, Miss Braun. <laughs> With everything in these archives, I have never seen you pause or appear perplexed over any case. And yet here... Yes, here. This is a case from Agent Boswell. Boswell? Oh, yes, Simon. A delightful chap. Rather quiet, but very sweet. If memory serves, he was reassigned to the Welsh office. Really? Yes, a few months after I arrived... He said he was in need of a change. Or perhaps something more pressing. Whatever do you mean? See for yourself. Oh, Simon. Simon, dear. Why didn't you tell anyone? Dust on the Davenport by O.M. Gray Winter, 1893 The Ministry's cable and telegraph officer's heels clacked a sharp staccato against the hardwood floors as he walked down the aisle between the two rows of leather-topped desks. This just in over the wire, sir! Agent Simon Boswell looked up from his work to see the CTO hand the telegraph to Agent. Simon checked his notes. Brandon Hill. Hill's eyes scanned over the transmission. Another haunting? No, thank you. He leaned back in his chair to the desk behind him, slapping the parchment down in front of the large, leathery man. Come along, Campbell. There's a good chap. You take it. I'm up to my arse in Casewick. Give it to the grainy. Agent Bruce Campbell spoke. Simon didn't have to look in his notebook for that name. Unfortunately, he was hard to forget. Capital idea, Campbell. Nice way to break him in. You might as well get used to them. Hill said, tossing the paper onto Simon's desk. Boswell, your first real case. All on your own. A haunting up in Islington Chantry Street. 
Another haunting? A woman's voice asked. Imagine the odds. Another name he didn't have to look up. Eliza D. Braun had just entered the room and all went quiet. Recently transferred from the New Zealand branch, she'd been at the main office here in London for just a few months. Not used to seeing a woman agent around the place, every man watched her move, including Simon. Good day, Lizzie. Looking rather scrumptious today. Keep dreaming, Campbell. Oh, you certainly invade my dreams quite often, Braun. I can certainly take you back down under. Quite appalled at this exchange, Simon said. That is certainly no way to talk to a lady, sir. <laughs> Braun! A lady! You're no lady, are you, Braun? But she was a lady, through and through, even in trousers. Simon had difficulty seeing a woman as beautiful as Agent Braun in trousers. The curve of her thigh, just as it met her hip under the holster, sent Boswell's mind to where it should not go. Not for a gentleman, and not towards a colleague. Simon stood up, fist clenched, and faced Campbell across the aisle. If you were of the gentry, which you clearly are not, I would call you out, sir. Campbell rose from his chair, casually taking off his coat. Well, well, Liza has herself a champion straight out of the Royal Ornithopter Corps. Ain't that quaint. He overpronounced the final T, spittle flying out from between his chapped lips. This'll be quick, but fun. Braun, stepping between them, turned to Simon and said, Just do as I do, Simon. Ignore him and he'll go away. If it wasn't another bloody haunting, I'd take it myself, but unfortunately, Harrison and I are wrapping up a case with this blasted paperwork. Can't wait to be back out in the field. Later today, I hope. She slapped the holster on her hip and shot a warning glance back at Campbell, who had been inching closer to her from behind. <laughs> Count yourself lucky, Simon. You don't have to stay in here with him, she said, patting his shoulder before continuing on to her desk. By the way, I am perfectly capable of taking care of myself. Simon swallowed hard. But before the blood got back to his brain, she was already back at her desk, talking with Harrison. Lucky man to be partnered with a woman like her. You heard the lady, Boswell. Off you go. Simon clenched his jaw and took a deep breath, regaining control. Shouldn't I wait for Townsend? They partnered you with Townsend? Campbell barked laughter, showing shocking white teeth against his two-tanned, smug face. He had settled back at his desk as if nothing had gone between them. I think you can handle this one on your own, mate. It is only a haunting, after all. MFC stuff and nonsense, near 85%, I'll wager. Off you go, Greeny. Stop by Axelrod's office to gear up. He'll advised. Within the hour, Simon arrived at the house in question. He had reviewed the case file on the handsome ride over. Mrs. Florence Honeywood, widow, 27 years old, lived alone. Notified the yard, but they dismissed her as mental, of course. Fortunately, the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences had an informant at Scotland Yard who picked up strange cases for them. The coppers wouldn't know what to do with the ghost anyway, best for all concerned. He ascended the stone steps to the large wooden door. Before he knocked, he put Mrs. Honeywood's file back in his attaché case, set it down beside him, and looked around at the neighboring homes, all connected with a long brick facade extending the length of the block. To the right, he caught sight of a woman dressed in deep purple peering out her window, but as soon as her eyes locked, she snatched the curtains closed. 
Straightening his waistcoat and smoothing his lapels, he reassured himself. You can do this, Simon. You have been on far more challenging missions than this. Just follow your training. Everything will go fine. After a deep breath, he knocked. His knuckles hit dense wood, creating a strangely hollow sound, like rapping on the lid of a coffin. A moment later, the door swung open. He parted his lips to introduce himself, but his larynx choked off his words before a sound could escape. The woman on the other side was a vision, dressed all in black from her chin to past her wrists and ankles. The dress's ruffle at her throat cupped her angelic face sweetly, a large red stone adorned the center of her black velvet choker. Her black hair was pulled back properly, and two tiny rubies dripped off her earlobes. Delicate hands peeked out from beneath more black lace, and a gold band encircled her ring finger. Her eyes, wide and bright green, did not blink as she looked at him inquisitively. <clears throat> he cleared his throat and tried again, but discovered that he had forgotten how to speak. He never had had time for love. Correction, he had never made time for love, not with his mother's illness, then training and serving as an officer in the Royal Ornithopter Corps. He had seen what his father had done to his mother, deceived her, leaving her broken. She had lived the rest of her days in a strange madness, driven insane by her shattered heart. He could not stomach the thought of her in Bedlam, so he had cared for her, vowing never to let love do that to him. After she passed, he chose to stay away from women and focus on his military career. When the Ministry had plucked him from the ROC's ranks, he had met Agent Braun. Since that day, his thoughts often went to where they should not. Eliza was a fine agent, fine woman. But this lady standing before him made even Eliza Braun appear ordinary. He had never beheld such beauty. Yes? The woman said after a moment. Simon woke from his daze and snatched his black bowler from his head. Clamped in white-knuckled fists, he held it to his chest and bowed to her. Agent Simon R. Boswell at your service, madam. I beg your pardon, sir. Whom do you represent? I represent Her Majesty's interests, was all he was permitted to say to civilians. You reported a haunting, ma'am. Oh, yes. Forgive my rudeness. Do come in. Thank you. After picking up his attaché, Simon stepped inside, careful to keep his eyes anywhere but on her, silently chiding himself for being such a schoolboy. After all, he had gone through extensive training to be an officer for the ROC, then an agent for the Ministry, and such thoughts were not becoming. Get a hold of yourself, man, he mumbled to himself as Mrs. Honeywood closed the door. Tucking the bowler under his arm, he set his attaché down, then pulled his notebook out of his breast pocket, looking around the house. Do tell me the nature of your haunting, Mrs. Honeywood. Well, as I told the police, it happens mostly at night. I'm here alone, Agent Boswell, and I've not slept well in months. I'm quite weary of this torment, and I do wish it to end. Of course, ma'am. The Ministry will do all it can. What types of disturbances at night? Strange sounds. Thumping in the walls. Furniture moving around. I can hear it, Agent Boswell. I can hear him speaking to me. Him? Simon asked, looking at her for the first time since entering. As any good military man, he can compartmentalize if he focused hard enough. He would just have to put his feelings aside for this investigation. It was improper, after all. 
Yes, my husband. He talks to me as if he's still here. Whispers things. Indeed. Simon finished taking his preliminary notes. I must sound quite mad, don't I? That made him look up from his notebook. He gave Mrs. Honeywood a pleasant smile. Tosh, the Ministry specialises in such matters, so please do continue. Spare no details. Her brow furrowed. You specialise in this? How many hauntings have you investigated, Agent Boswell? Simon closed his notebook. Would you be so kind as to show me around, Mrs. Honeywood, to get a general sense of the place? You can tell me more about your situation as we go, shall we? He looked around for a place to hang his hat and decided to set it atop the polished wood banister. How very rude of me, Agent Boswell. Please, allow me to take that for you. And your attaché? As he offered her his bowler, her cold hand brushed his, causing goose flesh to climb up his arm, across his torso, and downward. Clearing his throat and regaining focus, he again averted his eyes from her and opened his attaché, removing the spectral gossmeter and thermal imager before handing her the case. Careful not to touch her hand this time. Must minimize the distractions. This way, Mrs. Honeywood said, leading Simon up the stairs. As he climbed, he strapped the spectral gossmeter to his left wrist and pulled the thermal imaging goggles over his head, propping them up on his forehead. Tell me more about your experiences, Mrs. Honeywood. You lost your husband, your children. Yes. The catch in her throat did not go unnoticed. Forgive my bluntness, ma'am. It must be a painful subject for you, but it is essential that I understand your situation. Of course, Agent Boswell. Anything you need. Her soft voice floated into Simon's ears and settled in his heart. This poor woman had known so much pain, losing her husband and two children. Simon wanted to help her ease her torment. Judging from her inky dress, she was still in mourning over two years later. It started after a dig in Africa. My husband was an archaeologist, you see. Finest in his field, some would say. She led him down the hallway and into a room lit by a single gas lamp on the bedside table. It could have been his mother's room, everything draped in rosy tones and lace. Here's where most of the disturbances happen. Like I said, mostly at night. Simon pulled the goggles over his eyes and scanned the room while she continued with her story. No hot spots, nothing lingering in the still air. Upon return from Africa, he was different. Before he had been such a kind man, but after, his moods were often surly. He drank scotch by the bottle. Rarely had touched the poison before, and it was cruel to me and the children. We became afraid of him. But that wasn't the worst of it. He must have brought some disease back because he just started withering away. Quite literally, Agent Boswell, and the children caught it as well. They went first, of course, being so small. But my Howard did not last much longer. The doctors, once they saw him, wouldn't even treat him. Too afraid of contagion, you see. Simon adjusted the goggles' side gears, tuning the lenses for maximum sensitivity, and scanned the room before lifting them off his eyes. There's nothing here now. He looked down at the goss meter on his arm and walked around the room slowly, but it also showed no reading. No, nothing. Anywhere else? Here is where he whispers to me, all night, every night. He whispers dreadful things to me, horrible, improper things, Agent Boswell. Not befitting a gentleman, 
not even to his wife. I regret that you must endure such things, Mrs. Honeywood. Yes, so do I. Down the other end of the hallway, that was the children's room. I hear them playing sometimes. At first I thought it was my imagination, just a mother's grief playing tricks, you see. But it is quite more than that. She wrapped her hand around his wrist. Her hold was gentle, yet desperate. You do believe me, don't you, Aizen Boswell? Her chill receded the longer she held him. He wanted to pull her close, reassure her that he would make it right. There was no evidence, but the conviction in her voice, and now her touch, was very real. Simon remained the consummate professional. Let's have a look in the children's room. It was just that they had left it. Two miniature beds, a rag doll on one and a wooden top on the other. Only the daylight coming through a small window lit the dark room. He turned back to Mrs. Honeywood and saw her wipe a tear away with a white, lace-trimmed handkerchief. They would not even let me bury my children properly in a churchyard. We had... I had to bury them in the garden. Howard was too weak, which left me to dig their graves. I had to dig my own children's graves, Agent Boswell. Dear lady, what horrors you have known. Have you no other family? Why do you remain here? There was nowhere else to go. My family was my whole world, you see. And I buried each of them, alone. Just out there. She pointed to the window. Simon peered out into the grey day and down to the garden below. He could distinctly make out three mounds, one longer than the other two. He forgot himself as the images pelted his mind. This lovely woman with a shovel by moonlight, wailing to the darkness in her agony. Now she lived here alone, trapped forever in this nightmare. Anything here? Mrs. Honeywood asked. Agent Boswell cleared his throat and pulled the goggles down to hide his own tears. He scanned the room but saw nothing. Anything? she asked again. He was just about to make his apologies, telling her that they would try again after sunset when she normally heard the sounds. When he turned to her, he saw two figures, her petite frame and a larger one behind her, arms outstretched toward her throat. Stumbling backward, Simon lost his balance and fell onto the little girl's bed, upsetting the ragdoll. He jerked off the goggles. Only the lady remained. Is everything all right, Agent Boswell? Just there. He said, pointing. There was something just there. Did you feel anything, Mrs. Honeywood? Any chill or, or a cold rush of air? Cold? Yes. All day. Every day. I can never get warm, not since that horrible night. I always feel cold. Simon wanted nothing more than to protect this sweet lady from these horrors. Horrors that he now knew were present. He moved toward her and said, We must leave this house immediately. But before he could reach her, the hair on the back of his neck stood on end and the horrid stench of death itself filled the room. <coughs> Mrs. Honeywood was flung back into the hallway as if someone was dragging her from the waist. She screamed and the door slammed between them. Simon! She shrieked. Florence! I'm coming! Simon turned the knob and pulled with all his might. 
but the door wouldn't budge. Crashing sounds came from the hallway with more cries from the lady. Then, just as suddenly as it started, silence. He flung the door open and found Mrs. Honeywood sitting against the wall, hugging herself and weeping. Running to her, he gathered her up in his arms and held her close. Her thin body seemed to disappear in the protection of his embrace. I have all the evidence I need, he said as he moved her to the stairs. Her shivering frame trembled against his chest as he led her down the stairs toward the front door. Now, I must insist, we run- But as he reached for the brass knob, she pulled away. No! I cannot go out there! Florence, it's not safe here- No! She cried and ran into the adjacent parlor. Simon followed. There she sat on the Davenport, head in hands, silently sobbing. His heart swelled for her. This poor lady who had experienced such torment for so long that she hadn't gone mad was testament to her strength, but perhaps her strength was now spent. He sat next to her and cradled her against him, telling her it would be all right if they could just leave here, that he would return with others and they would perform an exorcism. She looked up at him with hope in her eyes. In truth, sir, do you think I could leave this place behind? Yes, dear lady, I shan't abandon you in this. You will be cared for if you will let me. After all, he had some experience in caretaking, and this lady needed him. The corners of her mouth turned up into a slight smile that filled Simon's heart with joy. She licked her full lips and reached for him. He closed his mouth over hers, tasting her soft lips. The desire he had buried for the last decade raged inside him. Cupping her cold face in his hands, he deepened the kiss, losing himself in her. Until a thunderous crash shocked them apart. Behind her, the walls oozed blood, staining the flowered wallpaper crimson. Paintings, which had hung on the walls, were now scattered about the floor, surrounded by their broken frames, their eyes looking at Simon, only at Simon. The furniture other than the Davenport on which they sat, had been upset. The chairs, the tables, in fact, all the furniture in the room was now upside down. Even the marble bust of Aphrodite balanced on its head. It's my husband. He will not stand for me in the arms of another man, not even from the grave, she said, pressing herself against him. Please don't leave me here alone, Simon. Not now that I've found you. She took his face into her hands, her eyes welling with tears and yet insistent. You could stay here with me, Simon. We could be happy here. The ruby on her choker glowed, pulsating in time with his own heart. Tell me about your necklace, Mrs. Honeywood. Her hand went to the blood-red stone in her throat. This? This was the last gift my husband gave me. He had brought it back from Africa, found on his dig. It's all I have left of the real him, before it became so cruel. It's all I have left, son. Her voice so soft, the last few words came out as a whisper. Simon took her by the shoulder and looked into her bright green eyes. Florence, my darling, I think this stone might be binding him to this place. You must allow me to destroy it. No! It's all I have left! She repeated. Both her hands covered her throat, protecting the stone. Please, Florence, he said gently taking her hands away from the stone. Look around! You cannot continue to live this way! Let go, dear lady! Let go of the past! Silent tears streamed down her pale cheeks, but she nodded, almost imperceptibly. 
She unfastened the choker from the back and handed it to Simon. He took it from her, then lifted her chin and kissed her again. The stone warmed in his hand, and her lips, so full and soft, became hard, dry. He felt her pull away, and when he opened his eyes, he did not see his newly found beloved. The thing beside him stared at him with gaping eye sockets and a fiendish grin. Strings of decayed flesh hung from its cheekbones, and shreds of black lace swathed its bones. Scrambling away from the corpse, he stumbled toward the door, but it slammed shut. He turned to the empty room and watched Florence disintegrate into dust on the Davenport. A ghastly howl molested his ears as four specters rushed at him, two adults and two children. Their phantom, fleshless jaws open and working up and down, up and down, their bony arms outstretched. He ducked beneath them, grabbed the inverted marble bust, and placed the ruby necklace before him. The ruby smashed with a clap of thunder, rivulets of blood kissing his cheeks. After one final shriek, all was silent. He looked up to see the room once again set to rights. The door to the foyer creaked open. Simon did not hesitate. The following day at the ministry, he filled out his report. As events reconstructed themselves on the parchment before him, Simon washed away his mounting grief with shot after shot of scotch. Campbell's taunts went unheard, in bronze curves, unseen. O.M. Gray is rather camera-shy and is a complete novice when it comes to modern technology. She prefers to live in the cobwebbed corners of her dark mind, writing paranormal romance with a steampunk twist. When she's not writing, she's reading or tending the garden or drinking a hot cup of tea. This is her first podcast. O.M. Gray's Avalon Revisited is released by Blue Moose Press and available from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com and the iBookstore. Find out more about the author at omgray.wordpress.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. Thank you.